Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Can we see to part three? This is why we do it. So the first week we talked about how worship's more than a time and place. Worship is more than, than just a song. Worship is literally what you do. It's what you're created to do because you are created in God's image. And so you can't not worship. You can't not pour out. It's what you do. Last week we talked on how worship is corporate worship. Whenever we come together as the gathered church, we are coming together to worship, to essentially respond to who God is and what God has done, and we do that weekly through worship. This week, I want to get insanely practical and talk to you about five ways, five reasons worship makes your life better. Makes your life better. And here's, I'm not big into the self-improvement move, 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 uh, the self-improvement, God help me, the self-improvement movement where it's just like, you know, it's just you just developing your best self. We want to get better. We want to develop. But whenever I say better, whenever I say makes your, li- your life better, what I'm saying is you become more like Jesus. Because as a Christian, it's not about your life getting better according to what you think. As a Christian, your life getting better is you becoming more like Jesus. Okay? So when I say it makes your life better, worship has the potential to make your life better. What, what I am saying is, is you become kinder. You become less restless, less ruled by anxiety. Depression doesn't do what it does. Like you, you, you see people clearer. You have more perspective. And I believe engaging in weekly corporate worship In daily personal times of worship throughout the week, I undoubtedly believe that it will in many ways that I can't highlight all of them today, but I want to give you five, that I believe will make your life better. One of the things Psalm 103 says, it says says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not what? All of his benefits. Essentially saying, don't forget what blessing the Lord does for you. Do not forget that as as you take time to bless the Lord and worship the Lord in corporate worship and weekly daily times of worship, I believe that there are practical benefits to your life that it will make your life better, that you will ultimately become like Jesus. Everyone say five. I got five practical ways that, that worship makes your life better. I did not say easier. Because some of y'all think better, oh, it's just going to be easier. Because here's the thing, you, like, we have to interpret our lives if we're following Jesus. As we follow him, we got to realize we're going to experience a lot of what he experienced. Jesus did not come and live his life so we would have our life easier. He showed us an example of what it's going to be like to follow the will of God. His life led him to sacrifice. His life led him to the cross. His life led him to where while he was on the cross being crucified by people he created, he said, God, forgive them. To where he was betrayed by the very friend he was giving his life for. Y'all, trust me, the will of God is not always easier. 
but as you follow him, his way is better. Five ways worship makes your life better. First off, it shifts your perspective. Come on, isn't it true sometimes what you need more than God to give you specifically what you want is, an, is a shift in perspective? How many of y'all know we got them people? We got them people, we got them situations at your job, in your life. Like you've got those things that when you encounter them, you become disoriented. You, you literally, it's like you get a fog in your life and it's, or, you, or you get this tension in your soul to where you feel paralyzed on what to do, what to say, or how to treat them. And you are like, oh my gosh. And you literally, at least me and maybe I, I, I get almost paralyzed or I've learned to paralyze myself so I don't react harshly. I've learned to almost like, I gotta take away anything that I would feel or say because in my natural self, in my Jesuslessness self, I'm going to react in a so-called way. And, and, and really what I have noticed and seen is many times then we'll pray, God, change it. Change them, change that, change this. And we just pray all this stuff about someone else, but what, what, what don't we typically pray? God, change me. Maybe I need to see something differently. And what I've learned is you come into the presence of God. It's amazing how your perspective can shift towards the other person, towards the situation, and even towards yourself. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm chapter 73. And Psalms, whenever I say Psalms, essentially what I'm saying is Psalms is the song book of the Bible. It's the longest book. It's 150 chapters. And these were the, the worship songs for ancient Israel that they would sing. And what I love about the book of Psalms, if you, have not, if you have not read it, it gives you permission to feel. Because you'll read these Psalms and there'll, there'll be Psalms of joy and Psalms of hope and Psalms of peace and then Psalms of anger where David's praying, crush their teeth, God. <laughs> it's like, that's in the Bible? Can I pray that? Okay, that's called an imprecatory Psalm which essentially means out of a place of anger, out of a place of betrayal, out of a place of disillusionment, they would say things that, that they weren't suppressing what they felt. They were saying, God already knows it, so I'm going to get it out anyway. And one of the things I love about Psalm is it gives you permission to feel but there is this one particular Psalm, Psalm chapter 73. There's five different writers of the Psalms. One of them was a writer named Asaph. And one of the things Asaph encountered here as he was writing this song is he was so disillusioned because he was serving God. His friends weren't, but as he looked at his friend's life, they were better than his. So, he, so, so, so what he was saying was, is like when, when I look at those that aren't serving you, God, their lives seem easy. I'm serving you, and it just seems like it's harder. Anyone ever been there? Like you're like, God. I'm serving you. They ain't. Why why, why they get the promotion? Why they get the house? Why did they get the car? And, and it was like he was so disillusioned. One of the things he even said was, I have kept myself pure in vain. He literally told God, I followed you for nothing. He was disillusioned, angry, upset. But one of the things is in this psalm, there comes a shift. There comes a shift where you can actually see in verse 11, and 12, this is what it says. It says, when I tried to understand all this, and what he was trying to understand was what I just said. It's like, God, I serve you, but you know, he, he was just confused about God's dealings with the world. 
He says, this confused me when I tried to understand it. It troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I entered into worship. Then I entered into the presence of God. Then I entered into a time where it's, it's me and I'm encountering God. Then what does it say right after that? Then I understood. There was perspective. There was clarity. There, there was an, an actual awareness that God hasn't forgotten me. He has not forgotten my situation. He hasn't forgotten me. I, you know, but but while, while I was in my previous state, now, here's the thing. I believe this can also be spiritual and practical. There are some spiritual things you can do when you're disillusioned, but there are also some practical things you can do. There's a spiritual side. There, there, there is a worship side, but don't discount the practical things to bring back perspective. I love whenever there was this guy within the Bible who was really, I mean, just going through a really tough time. God told him, take a nap and get something to eat. And he, like, that was God's advice. Get something to eat, take a nap. And be quiet, and you'll feel better, <laughs> right? Like there's practical and spiritual things. But when you get disillusioned, I believe one of the ways we come back into perspective, we get back into rightness, is when we pause and we say, God, I need to get in your presence. I need to get the eyes off of me and the people or situations that I'm dealing with, and I need to put my eyes on the God who is in control, who is the creator, who is so far beyond anything. I could, it's almost like you got into the presence of bigness to make things that aren't real big put them in their place and see them as being small. You don't need a change of circumstance. Many of us need a change of perspective. And I believe as you do that, your, your life will be better because some of you are ruled by seeing things the wrong way and you react instead of taking time to get in God's presence and respond appropriately. And I wanna challenge you, next time you feel disillusioned, next time you, you feel any, anything and you're prone to react, say, God, I'm gonna set aside 15 minutes and I, I, I need to go get in your presence. God of creation. Like get, in, get in God's presence and I guarantee you'll see, then you'll understand. Second thing, that how worship will make your life better, worship develops discipline. I want to warn you, I'm passionate about this point. So get ready. I don't know what's going to come out. But I'm just very passionate because, honestly, when I look at the body of Christ, when, when I look at our church, the church in general, one of the things that I think is hindering and that, that COVID kind of, kind of exacerbated and how much we have become malformed, it's directly related to this word discipline. And let me tell you why. In the church, okay, and so just hear the totality of what I'm saying, not, not just bits and pieces, I promise you, it will make sense. Like, we say things like, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Talking about Jesus. I agree with that. But, because you are in relationship does not mean there will be certain disciplines to put in place to keep that relationship healthy. But what I think we have done in the name of not wanting to be legalistic and not wanting to be religious is we've basically said, we're in relationship. It doesn't matter what we do. And unfortunately, what we have failed to realize then is there is no formation without repetition. And almost we've said, grace is what saves us, therefore grace means I don't have to live disciplined. 
And it's almost what is keeping us from being shaped and formed is the fact that we just know Jesus loves us in spite of what we do. So we almost take his grace in vain instead of saying grace empowers you to live a disciplined life. We said grace then covers you from living a disciplined life. Let me give you an example here of how I think it all comes down to motives. So here's the thing. If you believe that what, that what you do saves you, then yes, I could see how somebody would go down the path of saying it's not about religion, it's about relationship. So if you believe reading your Bible and praying and going to church and giving financially and serving and all of these disciplines that a church encourages you to do, if you believe those things save you, I believe whenever you get sick and tired of doing them, you'll end up damning them. Because your hope was in what you were doing instead of what Jesus did for you. Are are y'all tracking? And then what happens is, is when you put faith in that, then I could totally see how legalism can creep in. And you're like, because then you get this, God, I do this for you. What are you doing for me? Without realizing what Jesus did for you on the cross 2,000 years back is the best thing he could ever do for you. So that is, that is why grace flips the script to where now what we do, the disciplines we do, isn't to earn something. It's actually medicines for our soul. Disciplines are not salvation. They're medicines. But you've got to have the motive right. You've got to have the heart right. Because any discipline Any spiritual discipline you do has got to come as a response to the grace that God has already given you. So you're doing it not to earn salvation, not to be saved. You're doing it because you realize that every small discipline you have is going to either shape you and form you to be like Jesus or not. That's why when we look at Jesus, I think sometimes we forget Jesus shows us what's possible when someone is empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit and governed by personal disciplines. One of the things I love that it says about Jesus is that as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Essentially saying, Jesus, one of part of Jesus' customs, his disciplines, was to weekly gather together with people in worship. And it's so crazy to me how in our culture, we can literally say, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. That's, that's wild to me because that, that Jesus didn't say, I love you, Father, but I don't need the synagogue. A part of his daily rhythm is he even knew, I need to gather together, but he was developing a life of discipline. And what I believe that we are seeing within the church is we have a lot of people that have a lot of desire to do good, but no discipline to actually do it. They've got a good heart with bad habits. And the reason is because we have been lulled to sleep Unfortunately, by thinking we're saved by grace, which we are, we believe that. But then if you have a heart that says, I'm going to take advantage of it and I don't need to do disciplines, then I believe that's not right either because one of the things James said, faith without works is dead. Meaning the way you show who you love and what you adore and what you revere is shown by what you ultimately treasure and cherish practically. And that's one of the purposes of the church, y'all. I know sometimes when you feel like, man, they're always begging us to serve, always begging us to give, always begging us to come to church, always begging us and begging us and begging us. And it's just like, y'all, let me just be candid with you. We do that because we know it's good for you. 
It's daily disciplines done over a long period of time that make a big difference. It is those things where, where if you can't do them on, on small ways in small portions, then, then, then you can't build up disciplines necessary to do it on a large scale. So that's why we, and I mean, honestly, I see the church as being a gym. I mean, you can, you, you can even see Paul saying it, I discipline my body and make it my slave. One of the things he told his pastoral protege, Timothy, he said, train yourself to be godly. What he was saying is it is the spirit that ultimately works, but it is our personal discipline matched with the Holy Spirit's power that shapes and forms us to be like Jesus because that's the example that Jesus set. Is this good, is, is this good preaching? Are you guys getting this today? Are y'all seeing, are, are, are seeing and hearing my heart? Because my, y'all, motives are so huge. And, 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 and really, you know, kind of the, the best way that I think that I can explain this to you is sort of like if, if my kids, if my three boys, Jackson, Judah, and Dallas, believed that they could only earn my love by making their bed, brushing their teeth, cleaning the kitchen, putting their toys up, getting good, good grades, like if, if, if that's what they believed would earn my, my love, I believe you are breeding rebellion. Ultimately. But with, with our kids, I start with love. I start with it. I don't say do these things and then earn it. I say I love you. And because you have my love, that should not then be like screw homework, screw the chores, I've got the love, why do I need to do anything? No, it's like they, they've got my love, therefore because my love is secure, it's not going no nowhere. That my hope in my heart that we're trying to cultivate in the wear home is that would then empower them to do things not out of guilt or fear or shame, but that they would do them because they have a want to, not a have to. So we're not trying to get them to do those things like we're trying to get them to be decent human beings. We're training them is essentially what, is essentially what we're doing. We're, our home is not one of earning our love. It's one of saying you have our love and our job as parents is to shape you and form you and put in place habits and disciplines so you become a certain kind of person. And y'all, that is what we're called to do and be as followers of Christ. And here's this worship. You're like, John, we're talking about worship. Get back to the topic. I, I understand. But worship is a discipline. It's something that as you continually do it, you, you, you realize I'm gonna worship in spite of what I feel. I'm gonna worship in spite of what I see. I'm gonna worship in spite of what I think. And it becomes something that is a discipline that's born out of a have to instead of I got to to earn God's love. Because God doesn't need your worship. You need him. You need to worship. He doesn't need you, and that's a good thing he doesn't need you. Why? Because he's sufficient in and of himself. And as you worship him, what you worship, you'll become. As you worship him, the prayer then is that you'll become more like him. Worship develops discipline in you as you put in place that habit. Thirdly, worship cultivates gratefulness. Worship cultivates gratefulness and thankfulness. And I don't know about y'all, but one of the things, and I'm bringing my kids into this again because it's hard not to. Man, one of the things as a mom or dad that, that we love hearing is, Dad, thank you for taking me here. I mean, flat out. Dad, th- you know, like I love when, when, whenever they, and what, you know, by God's grace, this is one of the things they do decent. They don't do a lot of things well. 
they're in that, you know, they're 10, 7, and 5. So they're, you know, they're all emotion. They're all reaction. Not a lot of thinking, right? But they do in probably 80, 90% of the time, whenever we take them to Rita's and get, you know, cus, you know some frozen custard, or whenever we, t- we take them some, somewhere, one will get the thank you train started. One out of the three will get the train rolling. Mom and Dad, thank you for taking us to get custom. Mom, thank you for taking us to, to, to the beach, to Bush Gardens, and then it becomes everyone else starts to do it. But do you know what that does, at parents, and you know this, you know what it does for, for your heart? There's just an acknowledgement that I didn't have the car nor the money to do this. But you do, and you chose to take me and spend money on me and think of me and prioritize spending time with me. There's just a, there's, there's something powerful about acknowledging. Why? Because you're acknowledging something you do have instead of whining about what you don't have. And let's just be candid, man. That's what we all struggle with. It can be hard to come to God and thank him for what you do have instead of taking time and focusing on what you don't have. But studies, studies upon study has been shown those that are the most happiness, those that are the most grateful are those who focus on what they do have instead of what they don't have. And worship is a time, man. And you know what? Like, I love watching people worship, not because I'm a creeper, but because you, you, can, you, can, you can almost, in your spirit, sense the thankfulness from certain, from certain folk. Like, I know people, they're just bawling in worship, like crying. I'm starting, already start crying. But most of the time, they're crying because they're so grateful. They're so thankful. They're like, God, I know where I was, but I know who I am now. I know what I was doing, and, 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 but, but God, I look where I'm at now, and I'm just grateful and thankful. And when you when I think of, like, why does worship make your life better? It, it cultivates gratefulness, and gratefulness and thankfulness cultivate you being happier. Because I believe some of the most reasons why some of y'all are miserable is because you got a spirit of discontentment. And, and, because you, and that discontentment stems from you looking at what you do or don't have instead of what you do have. You say, I don't, I don't have this perfect spouse. Well, I get that. But at, but at the same time, what does your spouse bring? You might say, I don't have this perfect retirement. I don't have this, this within my bank. Have you thought about the fact that the way you live in the United States is 99 or 95% better than anyone else in the whole world? You're in the top 5%. As you focus on what you do have instead of what you don't have, it'll cultivate gratefulness and thankfulness in our times of worship together corporately and your worship times daily. I, b- I believe we'll let thankfulness and gratefulness well up in you. Over 100 times in scripture does it say give thanks to the Lord. Fourthly, I'm not sure if that's a real word, but we're going to make it one. All right, worship puts you in your place. This is, this is by the, the second most passionate one that I've got. What I believe worship ultimately does, and that we need, and this is going to sound bad if it's your first time here, I love you, welcome to Lifehouse. Sometimes I say things in a certain way that seems harsh, but it's my heart, it's done out of love, and those that call this place home know my heart. But worship, I think, lets you know you're not that important. Worship, I, 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 I think, sometimes can be a great reminder to let you know that you, at the end of the day, are not that important and should remind you how important God is. Now, one of the contrasts that I see, though, 
is this in worship, how there have been times where I have had to be lowered and times where I have had to be lifted. Let me talk about this. There are times in worship you need to be, like you are reminded, I'm dust. I came from the earth. I'm made from dirt. But then there are also times you have to be reminded you're a child of God. There are times, some of you, you walk in here so prideful thinking everything you have, your home, your job, your 401k, all of these things, they come from you and your strength. And you need to be reminded, not really. But there are some of you, you come in here condemned and shameful and your self-esteem is so far in the depths, you think you are literally worthless. And I think worship invites people on both sides to be put in their rightful place. Where as, as you come into worship, sometimes you're like, man, what I did Saturday night, what I did even before church, I yelled at my kids, I screamed, my, me and my wife got in a fight this week. At work, you just come in and you literally feel like you are just covered in mud. And I believe God in worship, he puts a shower on you and says, this is who you are to me. But then there are times you, you come in and you're prideful, arrogant, and you need to be humbled. Essentially, you need to be put in your place no matter what side you're on. And I talked about a couple weeks back about this, 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 um, this idea of worship puts you in your place where you are not creator, you are created, stewarding over creation. Essentially saying our problem is this, inverted worship. You've got the created looking at the creator being like, I don't need you, while they're ruled by creation. They're saying, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't need you. And they're complete alcoholics. So they've got creation ruling over the creator, telling the creator, I don't need you. I believe worship, as you, as, as you engage in it, it puts you in your rightful place. Because the truth is this, y'all. Many of you carry stuff you were never meant to carry. And the reason is, is because you have too high a view of you. And in this self-movement we're in, self is God, self is king, look inside, look in that cute little self inside of you, whatever's in there, exalt it, live for it, live from it. And what it's created, it's created the most anxious, depressed society in the history of the world, where we are the most materially blessed nation in the history of existence, but we are the most medicated, anxious, depressed. That doesn't make sense. But it does make sense when the self is at the center. Because you put on you burdens that God was supposed to carry. You put on your back, my existence is my responsibility. My career, my income, my family, my self-esteem, my popularity, all of these things are my doing. And it's almost like you're telling God, hey, bless what I'm doing as you follow me. When Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching, my life upon you, and I will give you a rest for your soul. And what Jesus was saying was, is there is an easy way to deal with the hardness of life. And if you view it as Jesus, come and follow me and bless me and bless what I'm doing, and you feel like Jesus is yoked to you, instead of you being yoked to him, you'll end up carrying things that God was only meant to carry, and it will end up crushing you. And it will make its way out of you as anxiety and depression and, and, and drinking, substance abuse, and all of these practical ways that we try to cope with burdens that we don't know how to carry. Whew. 
Worship, I, I, I think that what worship does is it puts you in your place. And we need to, we, we need to be put in our place, y'all. Because some of the reasons why some of, some of you are so anxious is because you think you're so important. Some of the reason why you're struggling with crippling depression, it's just like all of these mental illness issues is because you've created this pattern of viewing you as being the center of the universe. And really, I believe as you transfer ownership of the universe to the God that created it, and you learn to live, I picked up this term this, this past year, in, the, in Jesus's easy yoke, essentially saying there's an easier way to live a hard life, that you will actually learn to be more relaxed, more in the moment, less concerned about every wrong thing that could happen, and you're actually present to experience the presence of God in your daily moment. But I believe worship's a big part of that, of putting you in your place. Lastly, I believe this. All right, hold, hold on. Let's go ahead and walk through these. Worship will shift your perspective, develop discipline, cultivate gratitude, puts you in your place. And lastly, I believe worship builds endurance. I don't know about you, but there are times when I come in here or when th- through, throughout the week where I literally feel like, I, like I'm on E. Like I ain't got a nice word to say. I ain't got, <laughs> I can't say that, John. You're preaching. I don't have one more thing to give. <laughs> and I feel like I'm on E. And literally what I feel like I need is I need a fill up. I need a fill up. I, I need a fill up on grace, on perspective, on mercy, on all the things that Jesus got. Like, I need a fill up. But that's actually, like, the Bible describes our life as being a journey, as being a marathon, as being a long, like, you're going to get tired. It's going to feel like you on E. And what I feel is that when we engage in worship, what it actually does is it gives you endurance to keep on going. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us this. Hey, Jarvis, you can come up and come to the keyboard, bro. This is what it says, though. Nothing here. Okay, I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> I was like, hold on, okay. Um, this is what it says, Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses of the life of faith. So let me pause right there and let me give you some context here. This is actually theatrical or, what can I say, athletic imagery that Paul was using here. So he's saying, imagine a stadium filled with people full of faith that followed God before you. They are sitting in the crowd watching you complete your race because their race has already been finished. So just imagine, right, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and this is right after Hebrews 11, where he goes through the hall of faith is what it's called. So he goes through all these great heroes of the faith, and then he says, therefore, since all of them are watching your race now, since all of them are keying in on you, let me tell you how you should, how you should actually live. He says, let us then, or let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So what he says, on your journey, 
there are two different things that trip you up and hold you up. One is sin. We're like, yeah, duh, John. It's things that go against God's best. But then he essentially says anything that holds you down. So there are some things that are sin and some things that are just stupid. Like, it's not a sin in the Bible to eat your lawnmower. But that's pretty stupid. <laughs> so it's not a sin, but, but it's, it's just stupid. Like, you wouldn't do that. Like, that would be a weight that would hinder your physical body. And so, so what he's saying is since you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, like a great crowd that's watching you run your race, run your journey, throw off the weight but not just the, the stupid things that hold you down, like the, the, the sin, the things that are against God's best, like throw them off. And then it says this here. And let us run with endurance. Everyone say endurance. Run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. So what he's saying is like the fuel to run this, to, to, to build endurance, to fill endurance, to keep on going, is, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's one of the main purposes of worship is to get your eyes from what's going on here and to put your eyes on who he is. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because what, what it does is it fills you, it gives you endurance. You know, about two years ago, Carrie, Carrie and I went to the nation of Albania to connect with a church plant that, that was a part of the Lifehouse Network. And when you're in Albania, it's within the Balkan, the Balkan region. And so it's really, really mountainous and there are incredible mountains to climb. And so we said, okay, if we're over in Albania, we need to go and try to climb a mountain that's not gonna kill us, right? Like something that's very scenic, but at the same time, something that we're not gonna be left dead on the mountain, right? And so we climbed what is called Mount, uh, Mount Rosie. It's about 8,500 feet, ele feet elevation. You're, you're, you're gonna actually see pictures here. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, just breathtakingly beautiful. But the, the thing was is, you know, we're not professional hikers or mountain climbers. So one of the things we did is we actually misjudged how much water we needed. And it was hot, it was warm. And so we get to the top, like, hold up, yeah, it's 20, 20, 25, 25 meters. You know, we're at the top, we're like the picture, we're both, yeah. When we both know, I got like four sips of water. You got like five, and it's about a six, seven hour trip home. It's hot, it's humid. And we, and, and you know, and, and really that was like in July. So a lot of the streams and stuff like that around there had been dried up. And so we knew what the trek back was going to look like. And so we were like, yo, we're not, we might be dead on the mountain. Dehydration or something, because we were hot. And you know, we, you know, Carrie and I train, but we don't train like that. It's a different kind of training. But anyway, we're coming down the mountain. And you know, we come down the mountain, you just like trying to find anything that has water. I mean, any, anything. So we look down the, and we see this house that was not there on the way up. So maybe, I don't know if we came down a different way, whatever. But this, this house, no power. I mean, literally like it was living back in the 1700s. A couple people lived there, but they had actually realized that this was a tourist route 
So they, they would actually go and buy drinks and put them there. So we are, we're, we're literally, I think from there, it's about two or three miles down and we were so done. And we see the house, our feet have blisters all over them and we're like running down the mountain, you know. Let's see if they have water. So we, we show up and they, you know, they had font, font, uh, Fanta soda. They, they had, well, they had beer, they had beer and soda. They're like, they know United States people really, really well now. Uh, but then too, they had water that was actually rainwater that they had accumulated. And Carrie's over there like offering 30 euros. He's like, can I just get a drink of water? <laughs> but thankfully, they, they were able to fuel us on our trip, on our journey. And when I think about worship, on your path and on your journey, you're, you're gonna have to have moments like this that you are going to need times of being in God's presence, of worshiping, so you can be fueled for the journey, so you can have endurance to finish. Worship will shift your perspective, it will develop discipline, it will cultivate gratitude, it will put you within your place, and it will build endurance. Can we stand? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.